Hi, it's Chris Flanagan. Welcome to the Pediatric Emergencies Podcast. So we're back with another podcast for you today on recognition of the sick child, but it's not actually me giving the talk today. It's one of my colleagues, Dr. Tom Waterfield, who's a specialist in pediatric emergency medicine. So I've worked with Tom for a number of years. He's a great clinician and a great educator. He helps me out on the Pediatric Emergencies Intubation course and also our new course, Pediatric Emergencies Waiting for the Retrieval Team course, which is happening on the 5th of April. Tom's actually organising that course. So if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you leave Tom some comments over on the website. Try and give him a bit of encouragement to do a few more podcasts. Okay, over to Tom. Hi there, everyone. My name's Tom Waterfield, and I'm a Pediatric Emergency Medicine Doctor from Belfast. And in this podcast today, I'm going to talk to you about the recognition of the sick child. So the aim of this lecture is actually to decide, well, what do we mean by a sick child? Who is, the, who is this talk aimed at? Um, we're going to talk about an approach, and in that approach we're going to talk about risk stratifying, different groups and how we decide who's at risk. We're going to look at uh, observation, so what can be gained by observing a child interact with their family or with you or with the environment. Then we're going to talk about observations, and what's normal for age, and what we should do with abnormal observations. And then we're going to finish with some exam findings and what they mean. So what do we mean by a sick child? So in the UK, there are around 5 million attendances to A&E and urgent care every year. Uh, but very few of these children are, are very sick. And what I mean by that is needing admission or need admission to high dependency or intensive care or needing urgent treatment, uh, which without the treatment, they're likely to come to significant harm. So in this lecture, in this podcast, what we're trying to focus in on, in on is spotting those children that really do need urgent care. This podcast isn't going to give you the answers to every diagnosis or every treatment, and it's aimed really much, really at anyone that is likely to see a child presenting early on with um, an illness. Uh, and typically that's going to be doctors uh, in A&E, general practitioners uh, and paediatricians, are more likely aimed at junior paediatricians. So we've got so many children attending, why are so few sick? Well, it's a combination of factors. One, uh, most children now, thankfully, are quite healthy um, and they're vaccinated. So the risk of uh, serious infectious disease is much lower than it was in the past. Uh, also, that combined with good public health uh, measures over the years has meant that parents are more uh, adept at recognising the early signs of illness and are more likely to present earlier in that illness uh, to ensure that their child's well. So we have this situation at the minute where we have uh, some of the lowest rates of serious invasive bacterial infection in history combined with some of our highest attendance rates. Uh, and essentially what this means now is that the risk per child individually is quite low. Uh, they're typically quite a low-risk group compared to the rest of the emergency department. But that actually it's quite hard to spot that one child that does have that really serious illness. Uh, and that's because despite vaccinations, despite health promotion, we cannot eradicate all serious infectious diseases and all serious illness. So if you like, we've got a needle that we've made smaller and then we've encouraged people to attend earlier in their illness, which means we have a haystack that's got bigger. So yes, the risk is smaller, but actually it's really getting quite difficult now to early on spot that needle in the haystack, that sick child that needs that urgent care. But there are some things we can do to help spot them out from the crowd. And that's what this podcast is all about. 
So the first thing we can do is look at risk stratification. So whenever I talk about this, I have in mind that you're a general practitioner, you're an A&E doctor, or perhaps you're a junior paediatrician. Uh, you've been called to see a child or a child attended your clinic and you're deciding whether or not you have the skill set to deal with this child, whether it's someone who needs further investigation or someone who needs urgent treatment. And before you even lay hands on the child, there's actually some things you can do to try and highlight that risk and determine if a child is at higher risk. And that's looking at their risk stratification. And what you mean by this is looking at children and deciding is there something underlying that makes this child more likely to suffer from an illness and in this child uh, something specific this child which means that the normal national guidelines such as nice guidance uh, don't apply all that well and the obvious ones are things like children who are ex preterm and, and in particular here children probably less than 32 weeks it does vary child to child depending on their neonatal course but children over 32 weeks on the whole typically do very well um, we're looking at children with chronic disease. So, so children in and out of hospital services um, with an underlying condition are more likely to react differently to an, a common infection than other children that were previously healthy. Uh, children who are syndromic or have chronic poor health. Um, and then actually age. So age is a really important factor. Um, Children of school age are typically a lot easier to interact with and examine um, and actually behave similarly to young adults uh, in the way that they handle illness. But preschool children, it can start to get a little bit diff more difficult uh, and the younger child gets the harder it gets just to assess them. So if your expertise, if you're, if you're not dealing with children every single day, it's not something you're confident with. The younger the child is, the harder they are to assess. And most paediatricians would... would openly recognise that very young children under six months can be hard to examine uh, and most of us would be very happy to help you and support you in the emergency department uh, or in general practice and assessing that child if you had any concerns. But then it's not just about assessing the child. Very young children are actually higher risk. So children under a month, neonates, are much higher risk of serious infection than older children. And this is to do with there's a greater risk of vertical transmission, so this may be a congenital infection. They're less likely to have viral infections. They're typically not out mixing with other children. Then they're not vaccinated. And also they're very good at, at hiding signs of illness until until very late on. Uh, again, children under three months are quite similar to children under a month. The risk is slightly lower, but again, they're difficult to assess. And the risk of bacterial infection in this group is higher than that of, say, children over one or school-aged children. So really, when you're looking at risk stratification, ask yourself, is this a previously well child? Uh, do they have an underlying chronic illness uh, or predisposition which may make them not handle this illness or this, this presentation as well as others? And then look at the age and say, well, is this an age group that I'm able to assess comfortably? Um, am I struggling here to actually get the information I need? Or is it an age group that's really high risk and, and needs to be seen in hospital? And just to re, re kind of enforce that point, any child under a month uh, with a temperature needs to be seen uh, urgently in the emergency department. And actually any child under three months with a temperature should really be seen urgently in the emergency department, although uh, the very high risk group is that children under a month. Now again here, there is lots of information out there on how to take a paediatric history and what makes up a paediatric history, but I just want to come in on a couple of points which help recognise those children that are really sick. So you do need to spend some time clarifying things with parents. In particular, 
how long have they had the fever for? Has it been more than five days? Has it been more than 38 degrees every single day? Um, certainly a fever going on for more than five days every day uh, would warrant a further assessment. Uh, how much have they had to drink? Uh, have they been passing urine? And, and try and be as accurate as you possibly can. Dehydration can be difficult to assess in children uh, and often the history will point to dehydration before the clinical signs do. And then there's a really important bit to ask about is what happens when the temperature is there? What happens when the temperature goes away? So many children will look quite unwell with a high temperature. They can be tachycardic, tachypneic, miserable, irritable, um, lethargic and cause lots of symptoms. But when we take the temperature away, they look completely well. Um, unlike children who have severe or life-threatening infections, typically the temperature coming away doesn't remove some of those signs and symptoms. They still look pretty unwell. So you can ask the parents about this. They're usually pretty good at describing that maybe earlier in the day the child was well at playgroup or interacting normally, and it's just with the temperature that they appear unwell. Or they might be really clear in saying that actually that's how it started, but now no matter what, they look sick. Be really worried about those children, those children that are losing that natural up and down with their temperature are more likely to have something going on. And then finally, just be really wary about the child who really does look lethargic without that variation. Uh, multiple studies have shown time and time again that lethargy is a really high risk for serious infection. Now, by lethargy, we don't mean a feeling of lethargy that we get, you know, perhaps on a Monday morning before we have to go to work. We mean uh, wanting to sleep more than normal, uh, being abnormally sleepy, and when they are woken, they only wake for short periods and then fall back to sleep. So Observation is really important in paediatrics, not just for the experienced paediatrician, but actually really, really important for those that aren't experienced. And that's because actually it's your fairest view of what's going on with that child. So you can watch them in the waiting room, watch them interact with their parents and see how they interact with you. You smile at them, give them stickers, try and engage with them. And this is before you examine them. And you can learn a lot from simple observation. You can actually nearly complete a, a quick assessment. So you can assess their airway. Do they have strider? Are they breathing comfortably? If they've been stripped down to a nappy or uh, a skirt or shorts, you'll be able to see their breathing and actually see that, that, that their respiratory rate is how much effort they're putting into their breathing. Then you can assess some of their circulation as well. Um, you can look to see are they mottled? Uh, do they look cool around the edges or are they warm and well perfused? And then finally, you can get quite a lot of information from disability and exposure. So is this child alert, playing in the playroom, smiling, or are they lethargic, uh, sitting on mom, really only responding to voice? And then finally, you can get some information about you know, rashes, injuries, so actually a child that's stripped down appropriately uh, with their parents, you can gain an awful lot of information really quickly. And I would say to you, if you have a child in front of you that is lethargic, breathing fast with significant work of breathing, who's mottled, you've already made your decision. This child's quite sick um, and something needs to be done. Uh, you can have that actually before you even place hands on them for an examination. The next part it's observations. So depending on where you are, you might be lucky. You may have a triage nurse or a team that provides you with observations, or you may have to collect them yourself. What I would say is, even if they are provided for you, um, simple observations such as heart rate and respiratory rate, and completely really full time, should probably be part of your examination. And that's because these can actually vary with lots of things. A distressed child will have an abnormally high heart rate and respiratory rate. A cold child may have a prolonged capillary refill time. And any child that's febrile will have a high heart rate, high respiratory rate and prolonged capillary refill time. So the observations need to be taken in context. That said, it is really important that you have them. And what I would say is you should never ever 
uh, send a child home with abnormal observations unless you have openly uh, acknowledged that to the parents and in the notes and explain why that they exist and why you're happy for them to go home. And if you're not sure, don't let them go home. This is why it's important to know the normal ranges. And here in the next couple of slides, we'll have the normal ranges for um, heart rate and respiratory rate based on uh, APLS. And then finally, it will come on to your physical examination. You can't avoid examining the child forever, uh, even though you might try. And actually now you've interacted with them as much as you can from a distance, but you do need to examine them. So for an airway and breathing point of view, you're going to be having a look now at their respiratory rate again. Is there, can you hear breath sounds? Are they equal? Is there good air entry? Are there any additional sounds such as wheeze or crackles? And what's their effort like? Um, mild effort may include subtle recessions, intercostal or subcostal, uh, moving up to tracheal tug. In extreme cases, they may have grunting or even head bobbing. For circulation, you can record the heart rate as part of your examination. Listening to the heart sounds, knowing that a soft systolic murmur may be most likely a flow murmur in a child that's previously well and febrile. Uh, feel for the pulses, in particular femoral pulses in young infants, and that's because simple illnesses um, may exacerbate an underlying cardiac condition, making them look more sick. So normal volume pulses is quite useful. And a liver edge, because again, a large liver edge can be a sign of failure in children, and certainly severe respiratory presentations in young children can be a first presentation of heart failure. In terms of disability, you can assess them on the AVPU scale, where A is alert, V is response to voice, P is response to pain, and U is unresponsive. A P, or pain responsiveness and disability, is similar to a GCS of 8. You can assess their posture. Uh, is there any abnormal posturing? Have they had seizures? You can look at their pupils, and you can assess whether or not they're lethargic or irritable. So in summary... Uh, this podcast isn't really designed to be a catch-all for diagnosis of serious infections. It's meant for uh, A&E, general practice, um, situations where you may meet children um, and you need to determine if they're very sick. Now, this doesn't mean that they don't need treatment just because they're not very sick, but we're highlighting those children that are highest risk of urgent treatment and that if they don't receive that treatment, they could come to significant harm. So risk stratify them. There are some groups of children in whom the risk is much higher, even if they appear well, and we've discussed those. You can know about clarifying the history. And what I mean there is focusing in on a few really important factors. Do they have that variation with temperature? Do they have good patches during the day? How long have they been febrile for? Are they developing dehydration? You can observe them and look at their interaction. And this is really important for those of us that are not comfortable examining and interacting with children let them interact with their family, observe them from a, uh, a distance, get as much information as you can. And then finally, some really small points on the top-to-toe top exam. This doesn't need to be a paediatric membership level exam. This needs to be an exam that can identify children that have significant respiratory or cardiac complications or are very, very unwell. So thank you very much for listening to this, my uh, first podcast for paediatric emergencies.